I'm back with another episode of Wizards After Dark uh, from Portland. If you think that you missed the episode following the Kings game, you didn't miss that game. I didn't do an episode after that game. So first episode in a few days. Uh, following a second consecutive Wizards loss, they fell tonight to the Trailblazers, 125 to 104. Bradley Beal had 29 points, but really fell off in the second half, went three for 18 from the field in the third and fourth quarters. Bertans would miss a lot of open shots. Like, kind of felt like he could have hit eight threes with the way that he, with the way that he tends to hit. Uh, four Portland starters and four, they just flat out outplayed the Wizards. I'm Fred Katz. I'm the host of Wizards After Dark, and I cover the Wizards for the Athletic. And in a closet, in what people refer to as the Rose Garden, but is actually the Moda Center, is Sean Hyken. Hey, what's going on? I think the actual, when, when we record these podcasts, like, on site, I think the, the technical term is an undisclosed location. That's true. Like, I just disclosed it, though. We are, we're in, it, it's like it's a, a storage It's literally closet. a broom closet. There are, like, brooms in the corner. <laughs> okay, we're in a broom closet in the corner of the media room. Um, Bradley Beal looked like he was on the second night of a back-to-back tonight. Like, he was 7 for 11 from the field first half. He had 21 at the half. It looked like it could have been another game where he was going for 40. Ended up being the 20th straight game where he went for 25-plus, but he fell off in the second half totally. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's been on such a tear lately. I think you you tweeted that it was like his 20th game with at least 25 points. Like, he's he's just been on such a tear the last month or so that, you know, it, it, it was, his legs were going to fall out from under him at some point. Like, he's going to, it was going to have to slow down at some point, you know, back to back on the, you know, long end of a long road trip. You said this is the end of the road trip, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, four, 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 yeah. you know, it just, you know, it just kind of burned out. Yeah. He said after the game that he thought Whiteside was fouling him on a number of those plays at the rim. He might have had a point. Yeah, probably. He might have had a point. Like, Whiteside made some, I thought Whiteside played quite well tonight. Yeah. He, he made a lot of really nice plays around the rim. Beal has been really, really good. What's going to be interesting to see with him, and tonight, look, the, nothing was really falling in the second half, and that tends to happen, yeah. second night of a back-to-back. The interesting thing with him is part of the reason that he's been on this tear and he's been so efficient. Like, he's not just volume scoring on this this binge that he's on. He's been wildly efficient, and it's because he's getting to the line 10 times, 11 times every game. He's been great on that. Tonight, it's not like he didn't get to the line. What was he? Five for six from the line. So it's not like he was not terrible. He was barren. Uh, but he just had a lot of plays where I think he felt like he should have gotten to the line. Should, I think he should have been. He thought it should have been one of those 14, 15 free throw night kind of nights. And uh, it just wasn't the way. Like, they just weren't making those calls around the rim. And Scott Brooks talked about it after the game. And Bill talked about it after the game. And one of the interesting things with him is that, like, he's now a foul shot reliant guy, which is great. It's a great way to... That's a great way to just be maintain your efficiency and maintain your scoring when your jump shot's not going, all that. Luke Walton said yesterday before the game that looking at film with Bradley Beal, it reminds him of James Harden with the way that he's playing. He's doing that move where he holds the ball out and gets guys to swipe down on his forearms, and he's really perfected that. It's an extremely intentional thing that Bradley Beal is doing, getting to the line a lot more now. He's grifting. He's grifting. <laughs> but... I am curious to see, like, tonight was an example of one of those nights. Okay, you're not getting it around the room. You're not getting the calls. So now what are you going to do? And I don't think this is indicative of anything else because the jump shot wasn't falling. And I think second night of a back-to-back, second half of a game on the second night of a back-to-back, that's a, that's not an excuse. That's just a reason. That just tends to happen. But this is what, you know, when he's not getting to the line, this is what can happen if that's the style you're going to play. 
Right, and that's kind of a, just a double-edged sword of if you're going to play that style. I mean, like, like you said, you, it's very it's a very good bet a lot of the time because you're going to get a lot of those calls. And if you're a good shooter, people are going to be guarding you, maybe double-teaming you a lot. So you're going to get a lot of foul calls. But then some nights, especially like on the road, sometimes you're just not going to get those calls. And I'm, I'm with you. I definitely thought there were some calls where maybe they could have called a foul on Whiteside you know, or they could have called a foul on somebody else who was guarding him. Well, sometimes you're not going to get those calls, and then you got to figure out what to do and – yeah, I don't know. This, you know, the second night of back to back, you can't really just write anything off of like, oh, well, you know, now we, we, we know that if he's not getting the line, he can't really do anything because, you know, it was the second night of back to back. Guys are going to get burned out. But yeah, this was definitely one of those nights where, you know, he just kind of he, his first option wasn't working and he didn't really have a second option. Right. Which, like, honestly, it's not a criticism. It's more just an observation, because if you rely on jump shots, then. We're going to say the crap when you don't make junk shots. You've seen Steph Curry have games where he just, like, you know, he shoots, like, 4 Everyone, for 20 from 3, and it's like, okay, well, I mean, that's going to happen when you shoot as much as he does. Like, it's just going to happen sometimes. Yeah, everyone's got a hole. Everyone's got a hole. This is just the way – this is what it looks like when the jump shots don't fall and the free throws aren't falling. That's all. Uh, it, it tends to happen. Their, their defense was really bad tonight until Gary Payton came in. They changed the starting lineup. Justin Robinson – or Jerome Robinson – Keep saying Justin Robinson on this. Podcast. Is there a Justin Robinson in the NBA? There was on the Wizards this year. Yeah, I was he like a two way guy or a G League guy? Like no, he was on the Wizards. Okay, I, <laughs> he was their third string point guard. That's why I keep saying Justin Robinson. Okay, Jerome Robinson uh, entered the starting lineup tonight. Uh, you know, I'm going to write something on this for tomorrow. Um, Troy Brown played 20 minutes. Uh-huh. Four of those minutes were garbage time after Scott Brooks pulled the starters. So he was at 16 minutes of consequential basketball. Bonga played 28. Jerome Robinson played 26. Troy Brown's kind of in the doghouse now, and it's a little weird. Scott Brooks has never been prone to Troy Brown, but, like, Thomas Bryant didn't play tonight, second half of back-to-back. He's, he's got the right foot stuff, which they're managing. And, and Mo Wagner ended up starting, just kind of out of default, played 19 minutes. Wagner and Bryant and Brown have all kind of been in the doghouse. I thought Troy Brown played well tonight. I thought he did a good job tonight. Well, all right. This is we, what happens when we do a podcast in the closet. Doing it in the, in the closet, yeah. Uh, I thought Troy Brown played well tonight, and and the fact that he's in the doghouse with Scott Brooks, and I asked him about it, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't really know why." Uh, the fact that that's happening right now is. It's just a weird thing that happens with Troy Brown. Like, he just gets in there with Scott Brooks. I, I don't really know what to make of it. I'm going to write something on it for tomorrow and maybe try to figure out what to make of it while I'm writing. What do you What do you think of Troy Brown? I mean, I'm a duck, so I'm biased. But, <laughs> you know, I, you know I, I think he's good. I like him. I, think he's, I don't have, like, super strong takes about him, but, you know, I like him. It's, it's such a weird thing because he was getting minutes and producing early in the year. 20 years old. Yeah. And and Scott Brooks just steers away from him. And he had the comments about Thomas Bryant yesterday talking about how, uh, you know, Thomas Bryant lacked uh, toughness to start the game against the Kings. They fell down 27. Then he came out in the second half and played with more toughness. Those three guys seem to more be in Scott Brooks's doghouse a little bit. Some coaches just don't like to play young guys. Terry Stotts is the same way. Like, he... They're, I mean, obviously he's had to because they've been so shorthanded, but like Monsieur Little, you know, you saw he didn't play tonight because they've kind of had have had more guys healthy lately, but like 
he was at the beginning of the season basically until Stotts got desperate and then like Zach Collins went down. Like this year didn't play at all. And like even like last year, Anthony Simons didn't play. Like he just doesn't like to play guys. And some guys are like that. You know, back you know when I was on the Bulls beat, Tom Thibodeau never liked to play young guys either. Like some some guys and Scott Brooks is kind of an old school guy also. Like he just doesn't. There are certain guys like especially younger guys like. You know, he may have a few good games, but then if he has a couple of bad games, he might just, like, pull him for a long time like that. Some coaches are just like that. He had a double lane violation. We had back-to-back, not a double lane Now we're getting into the good stuff. Okay, it wasn't a double lane violation. That's incorrect. You said double lane violation earlier, and that's why I said it, but it was not a double lane violation because double lane violation means two people committing a lane violation. This was a lane violation by Rui because he was getting frisky with Mello, and he had a lane violation, and then Mello refriskied, and he had the lane violation on the following lane violation free throw. And it was tremendous. I learned tonight, after the double lane violation, that there was a free throw trip once where that Chris Dudley had in 1989, in which he took five free throws because of lane violations and missed all five. That, that sounds like an oral history for you. <laughs> I'm gonna do that story. I've decided I have to do well, that. Well, I think that's. I think that. I mean, Chris, I mean, Chris Dudley, in addition to being a failed uh, gubernatorial candidate in Oregon, he also is like one of the no- most notoriously bad free throw shooters in NBA history. He was mm-hmm. like worse than Shaq. I have to track down. Well, Chris Dudley has that that quote where he says that. Uh, to paraphrase, it was like I had the same free throw percentage as Shaq, so I guess you could say he and I have a lot in common. Yeah, Which that's is, that's a quote. I mean, that's not that's not as good as uh, the the time that uh, like I I think it was uh, Nick Collison like after Kevin Durant had like fifty points in, in some game back when he was in Oklahoma City. Nick Collison tweeted that like he and Kevin Durant combined for fifty points. Like it was kind of, it's kind of in that genre of mm-hmm. like guy who's not that good comparing himself to a you know a Hall of Famer. Totally in that genre. I remember that tweet. It was great. That's like you know the baseball players with the most home runs. In baseball history, the, the, I should say the brothers with the most combined home runs in baseball history. Yeah, yeah, Joe and Dom DiMaggio. No, no, no. Did like Willie Mays' brother play? Hank, Hank, and Tommy Aaron. Hank had seven fifty five, and Tommy had like nine or eleven, something I, like that. That's more than zero. Go. That's that's more than zero. Yeah. So well, the, the, those two together more than Barry Bonds. We had double back to back. Lane violations by the same box out partners, too. They're pushing themselves, goading themselves into the lane violation. And it was Rui up against Rui's favorite childhood player was Mello. That's been such a fun thing. I mean, and I, I mean, you and I have talked about this before that, like, you know, the, the angle of, you know, Rui, Rui being a huge Mello fan. That's, and that's just something we've, it's been kind of, you know, covering Mello on a day to day basis now. I mean, obviously, you covered him a few years ago when he was in Oklahoma City and you were still on the Thunderbeat. But this year, just given that he, you know, was out of the league for a year, and then they brought him back, and now like it's kind of this feel-good story, and it's been like one of the few bright spots of this Blazer season. It's been pretty cool. Like I know that when like when the Bucks were here in January, uh, what both of the Antetokounmpo brothers who were on the Bucks uh, like wanted to get Melo's jersey after the game, like, and that's just like been a constant thing where you know guys who grew up watching Melo are now you know now he's I don't know if this is a farewell tour because if I had to guess, he's probably going to try to play next year, but like people are kind of seeing that it's sort of the twilight of his career. And so now, you know, it, it's starting to be, it's not on like the Dwayne Wade level of last year where everybody knew it was a farewell tour, but like it, there's a little bit, there's a little bit of the people paying their respects, but 
you know, it was definitely also, it's, it's also been kind of fun to watch, you know, rookies come into the league. They have to guard Melo for the first time. Like we saw, we saw it. They played uh, New Orleans about a week ago and and Zion was guarding Melo and Melo did exactly what he did to Rui tonight where, he, you know, he just jab stepped a million times in the post and just kind of backed him down and was able to get the, bu- uh, the bucket. Like these rookies, like you're going to have to like figure out how to, how to do something with Melo once you're in the league. I don't know. He roasted really. Yeah, it was it was it was not pretty, but I mean, most rookies deal with that. The the Rui thing was also kind of uh, interesting to kind of watch up close tonight because I mean, not only is it like I'm sure you've seen like everywhere he goes, there's just like a ton of like Japanese fans, but also like because you know he played at Gonzaga and this is the only Northwest team. Like there were I saw a lot of Gonzaga jerseys mm-hmm. in the crowd, so like the, this is like definitely a, one of the premier stops on the Rui tour. There were a lot in Sacramento too. I I mean yeah, attracts Northern California with right for sure. Yeah, I I was I talked to Melo for a little bit after the game, and I told him, you know, you're Rui's because Rui's Jordan. Yeah, they've met before. Yeah, they're both with Jordan Brand. Yeah. Melo is one of the main guys with Jordan Brand, one of the most famous guys with Jordan Brand. Well, now Zion's there. Yeah, Melo's more famous yeah, than Zion for now. Westbrook's there. He is. Um, Michael Jordan's there. Didn't Luca just sign with him? Or no, Luca signed with some. Did Luca sign with Jordan? Lucas signed with someone. I forget who. I think Lucas signed Jordan. With, Jordan. I think Lucas signed yeah. with Jordan. But anyway, so Jordan has Luca and Zion now. That's that's a pretty good. They're set up pretty well. Yeah. Well, so I was talking to him after, and they've met before because yeah. they've met at like Jordan events, and and Rui had told me that, and I uh, I told Mello, I was like, you know, Rui is your Rui's like favorite childhood player. Uh huh. And he had no idea. He was like, he never told me that. They they had met, I think, a couple of times. Not buddy buddy or anything like that, but Melo was telling me how much he likes Rui. He thinks he's gonna be really good. What do you think of him? You've obviously watched a lot more Wizards basketball than I have. Like, what do you what do you think? Because I was I was kind of iffy on him as an NBA prospect. Obviously, he was an incredible college player, but like, I was kind of iffy on like you know whether he'd be able to translate to the NBA. Like, what have you thought of him so far? I think he's very talented. Mm-hmm. I think he's getting a lot. He's shown more of a willingness to go around the rim, and he's getting better around the rim. This is a good check-in for Rui. This is good. This is good what you're doing right now. Yeah. This is good. Because I haven't done... I haven't, I, how, many different, how many different podcasts have you and I recorded together? Like, there, okay. did this, we did uh, Locked on Thunder, Thunder After Dark. Uh, Clipper Blog Live. Clipper Blog Live. We're going way back now. Oh, yeah. We're doing... I yeah, believe you came on Locked on Bold a couple of times when I was on the Bold. Mm-hmm. Like, this is... we got to be got, like, six or seven different podcasts that we've been on together. That's true. That's a good point. And then... So, I'm trying to think. So... This is a good point. This is a good time to do the Rui check-in. So I've said throughout the year that the thing with Rui is it's got to be incremental improvement. And you just want to see, like, yeah, from one game to another, he can fall off. From one game to another, he can get better. But what you want is in February, you want him better than December. In December, you want him better than October. You know, in, in March or April, you want him better than February and so on. And I think what we're seeing now is more of a willingness for him to go to the rim more of an attacking mentality. He's still not going up strong every time. He still has individual moments or individual quarters or individual games where he reverts. The mid-range shot is really good, and he's really comfortable there. He relies on it too much. And I don't even mean that as like a analytics-y, uh, terrible shot, don't take the mid-range. I mean that as there are times when he can go to the rim and a layup is a better shot than a mid-range shot. He just kind of settles. And he just settles or he... Or he should be good just going up strong and taking a foul, drawing contact, and instead he goes shoulder in, and then he steps back. And he goes for a step back 8-footer or something, or a step back 12-footer. And those shots, 
They don't need to be in his arsenal as much as they are. He can be good at them. No one, no one like that before analytics were ever a thing that was never considered a good shot when you can get a layup. So that's, that's not an analytics or non-analytics argument. That's just like, that's just about basketball geography. And I think that's something he's, he's still doing a lot. He's getting better at. He needs to get better. A being able to just move the ball within the offense. He needs to get better at two of these three things, hopefully three, but two of the three shooting threes, which I see on Wizards Twitter, like, oh, he's shooting 50% on threes since the All-Star break. So he's taking, like... Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta look at the sample size. He's, like, 10 for his last 20 from three. Sure, like, okay, I don't, yeah, well, that's, that, that's not something you're gonna, like, draw definitive conclusions from. Right, no, I, that means nothing to me. I'm sorry, he's shooting 29% of the year from three. Like, that, I don't care that he's 10 for his last 20. His shot is the same. Uh, it's still flat. And he has different jump shooting form on his threes than he does on his twos which is not a great sign. And I know it's something that the Wizards are working with. I'm um, specifically David Atkins. But two of these next three things he has to get better at. He has to get better finishing around the rim, slash drawing free throws, shooting threes, passing the ball, not just for assists, but within the offense. He's getting a little bit better on the finding the cutter type of deal, but the passing within the offense isn't there. A little bit better around the rim, but he's still not close on that. But he's very talented. That's all rookie stuff. Though. The thing is, the it's thing, rookie stuff, the thing yeah. that a lot of like, I, 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 and I understand like, you know, fans get excited about rookies because it's like the shiny new thing. Most rookies are bad. Like oh, yeah. that's just that's just the reality of the even rookies who become really good. There's like so there are, there are so few guys that I can think of and say, okay, they were amazing right away. Their rookie year, like the last couple of years, like obviously Zion, Ja, Luca last year. Uh, you know, Carl Anthony Towns his rookie year. Like, like, you know, who wasn't very good as a rookie? LeBron James. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He was fine. He was a fine player. He was an unbelievable talent, yeah. and we all knew he was going to be all unbelievable. Knew, we all knew. We all knew that he was going to live up to the hype. It just, you know, he didn't make the All Star team his rookie year. Just like it didn't. It didn't. I mean, but he was horrifically inefficient as a rookie. Well, he, he his second year, he came out and we were like, "Oh crap! Now this guy's a top ten player." <laughs> his first year. He was horribly inefficient. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm standing here with a with a phone in front of me, and that's it. But it yeah. was, he was like 45 percent on twos, 20 something percent on threes. We didn't develop a three point shot until we got to Miami. Yeah, and and it was a different era as well. So you got to lower your standards for efficiency because people right. didn't attack the game the same way. But like even by that era standards, it's not like he got to the line as much as he does now. He was 18 years old. 18 year olds tend to not be very good NBA players. That's the way this works. Then he came out as a 19-year-old and just destroyed everyone. That's what makes this Zion. Have you seen Zion in person yet? No. Uh, I will see him in person for the first time April 12th, and I can't wait. Oh, my God. We, they just were here, like, a week ago or so, or, like, a week and a half or something. But, like, oh, my God. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. Person. Like, he just... Ja, too, man. Ja's legitimately I good. haven't seen Ja yet. They he still really they, good. They still come here. They still have both of their times to come here, which, by the way, those games are going to be crucial because right now Portland is three and a half games, I think, behind Memphis for the eighth seed. And you know, so that's that's still a fight. But so I'm pretty excited to see John. Ja but oh, my God, like so Zion in person, like you like Hassan Whiteside's a big guy. Hassan Whiteside is not a guy who's easy to move. And there was a possession in the first quarter of that game uh, against the Pelicans a couple weeks ago where Zion where Zion drives to the basket. Whiteside basically wraps him up in a bear hug to try to slow him down. Zion still finishes, 
you know, gets the layup and the, and one and like just, nobody can try to do anything. And like, you know, they, another possession, like they tried to put Trevor Ariza on him, and Trevor Ariza's like, I'm 35. Like, what, 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 what do you want me to do here? Like, then they tried to put his own. Like, there's just nobody you can like. I think like the only guy in the league that can actually like stay in front of Zion is Giannis, and like maybe LeBron if he's like on a good day of like you know peak LeBron defense. That's like it. I feel like you could pull Zach Randolph out of the stands. <laughs> you see, Zach <laughs> Randolph is going to the big three. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I feel like you can pull Zach Randolph out of the stands and like old old man strength, Zach Randolph might be able to do it. But even then, I don't know. And I mean, the thing that's crazy about like the, the Zion thing is like, I mean, there, there's been this kind of conventional take about Zion that like, oh, well, he doesn't even know how to play basketball yet. And he's still this good. Like he's made some passes where I'm just like, OK, this kid's court vision and his his instincts. Like, he doesn't take bad shots. Like he's still really good. The thing that the thing that's going to be interesting with him is like I th- I'm not as worried about the conditioning as a lot of other people are. I think, you know, he's a child. Like, literally, he turned 19, like, three months ago or something. He, you know, and from all accounts, he's somebody who works really hard. Like, he's motivated to get, like, I'm not worried. I think the conditioning stuff is going to sort itself out. So once he does, you know, may, maybe, you know, at some point, he probably should drop 20 pounds. I think that's going to happen. And then he's going to have a full training camp of, like, getting into the flow of the offense and, you know, knowing how to actually play with these guys that he's now having to drop into in the middle of the season. And, you know, it's, it's gonna be pretty scary. Yeah, he's he's crazy. But you're right; he's the very rare exception. Rookies are almost never good. I mean, and and I I think the Wizards should be more encouraged than not. And when I say they, he has, Rui has to get better at two out of three things. I'm talking offensively. Right. Defensively, I mean, he's he's getting roasted a lot <laughs> but i mean um, isn't everybody on this team getting destroyed on defense uh-huh you know there's a there's a thing that i've been thinking about with like so jordan mccray goes to denver mm-hmm. he gets into i don't want to say he gets into it with mike malone but there's like a disagreement with him and mike malone where he's he doesn't run back on defense he's put in for garbage time he doesn't run back in transition defense with like under a minute to go in the game. And Mike Malone pulls him, even though it's garbage time of a blowout game and it effectively does not matter. He gets pulled. And you can tell from the reaction, he was surprised. Now, I can't speak for him. I don't know if he understood why in the moment, but he was surprised that he got pulled for not running back in garbage time. And I think that was. Wizards carry over that is and and then all of a sudden it goes south so quickly in Denver where like I don't know if that was a huge deal I I do know that's not why he's not in Denver anymore he's not in Denver anymore because he wasn't getting minutes he wanted to be somewhere we could get minutes and Detroit now they yeah. have like three NBA rotation players on there their team go. so there you go he's gonna be able to and so he's in a place where he can get minutes he played tonight I didn't see how he did but I know he played tonight for Detroit mm-hmm. and but that moment has just been on my mind for like a day or two because that moment to me was like, this is a thing that he did in Washington, which was acceptable because it was part of the culture. Well, that's just because nobody runs back on defense. That's just been the book on the Wizards the whole season is just that they, you know, they score a lot, but they also don't guard anybody. Mm-hmm. That's why you see so many like 140 to 130 losses for the, for the Wizards this season. But I, I it just it just had me thinking about like, Okay, this was acceptable here, but it's not acceptable here. So how how will here, how will Washington change in time to become competitive? Next year they say they want to be competitive. 
They say they want to have that. John Wall's back. Their books are going to be capped out. They're going to, they want to re-sign Bertans. They want to do something with mid-level exception, do something with biannual, maybe make a trade or two, add some extra upgrades, and then and then hope to be competitive next year. And they say that's the case. And let's say... Is Brooks good? Is he safe? Is he? Is there any talk of any kind of movement there? Or I have no indication that Scott Brooks is in trouble. Okay. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't know either. I was just curious. I, I interviewed... I mean, I don't have to use sources on this. I, I interviewed Tommy Shepard less than a month ago about it and wrote, wrote a story on it. And just he was just tossing praise in every way over the job he thinks Scott Brooks has done this year. And I asked him specifically if Scott Brooks' job is in jeopardy. And he said the easy way to say this is, of course not. Well, there you go. Um, or I said, is his job safe? And he said the easy way to say this is, of course. Um and then said many, many words about how good of a job he thinks Scott Brooks has done this year um, with player development, the young guys, and, and all that. Well, that's just the point that they're at with this. Like, it's not like they came into this season expecting to make the For playoffs. Sure. Everybody knew John Wall wasn't going to play the whole year. Like, but this issue, like, the, the just not running back in transition in a blowout, yeah. that thing, that's, that's often not on the coach. And I don't say that to absolve Scott Brooks of anything. I just say that often those sorts of cultures tend to be created by the players. Because if the players don't buy into that, it's screwed. The Blazers kind of have that. Where, but it's because it starts with Dame. Yes. Because Dame demands that. Dame is the guy who is going to walk up to someone and say, like, hey, that's, that's not how we do things around and there here. Have been stories of, and there have been stories mm-hmm. of him doing that. Like, there are, you know, guys who, you know, a few years ago, guys who have, like, complained about their minutes or guys who were, like... Even, like, earlier on this season, and Dame has talked about this on the record, so it's not like I'm, you know, throwing anybody under the bus here, but, like, there have been times this season where Hassan Whiteside has done some things where, you know, his he wasn't getting, you know, he wasn't getting, like, the touches that he wanted, so his defensive effort was maybe not there. And again, like, like there have been times where Dame has had to pull him aside and be like, look, dude, you gotta, you gotta bring it consistently or else, you know, this, this isn't gonna, like... Like, Dame is the kind of guy, and Dame has this track record of being able to hold guys accountable, and guys listen to Dame because Dame treats... CJ the same way he treats like the fifteenth guy on the bench the same way he treats like the team staffers like he does he's not a guy who's like oh I'm gonna you know go easy on like you know a guy who's like a starter or a guy who's making a lot of money like I don't think the Wizards I mean Bradley Beal it does maybe has sort of that I guess he's like you know by default just because John Wall like, is like kind of not a factor because he's like out the whole year you can't really doesn't like have that same I guess clout if he's not playing on a night to night basis but like. Is there anyone there? Is Bradley Beal like that same caliber of like leader that Dame is, or is he just? I mean, the way everybody talks about Dame, I don't know if there is another Dame. But you also watch Brad, and Brad's not running back in transition defense. You know, Brad is Brad hasn't really defended this year. Um, And And I think pretty good defensively throughout his career. Yeah, but not this year. Right? No, I'm not this year. But and you know, it just it, it makes me wonder. Like, okay, can you flip it? Like you've you've conditioned everyone to see you the way that they see you, right? Uh-huh. And then next year, when it's time to compete, can you flip it? Can you get them to see you differently? I don't really know the answer to that. I think it probably depends on your relationships with these people, uh, and it's probably different depending on the person. You could probably flip it for some people and not flip it for others. And for but, a team like the Wizards, where like it's all these young guys, and there's only a few of them that are maybe like long term pieces, and there's going to be so much turnover right. that maybe it's not going to be matter. It's not I don't even be- know if there's going to be so much turnover. I don't know if there's going to be that much turnover. Like John Wall is there, 
Bradley Beal is there. They want to re-sign Bertans, Hachimura, Thomas Bryant, Mo Wagner, Ish Smith. Like, that's seven guys right there. And that's the majority of your rotation next year. Probably. I mean, look, it's possible they trade Thomas Bryant. It's possible they trade Mo Wagner. Or like, don't, or like Bertans is offered too much money for them to be able to. No, I don't think that's possible. How much do you think he's going to get? Educated guess, 12 to 16 a year, four years. Is he restricted or unrestricted? Unrestricted. So with if some if a team offered him twenty, would they would they you know go up I, that high or because this is like because this free agent class is like I, one of those ones where lot. like there's not a whole lot of I mean I know it's a lot of money but this is a really bad free agent class like the only other than like I mean Anthony Davis is like is not leaving the Lakers like there's really no what like, Dallas Bertans might be like one of the three or four best free agents on the market this summer they. They don't expect him to get 20 a year. Uh-huh. So I don't know for sure. But my guess is they won't let him walk. I don't think they can let him walk. I think they at least want to keep him around. Now, if he's going to go, I could see Tom, Tommy Shepard is very asset-driven. So he'll try to do a sign-and-trade. He'll, he'll try to do a sign-and-trade if he's going to go. But I, I mean... Everything Berton says makes you think he's going. He wants to stay. Well, he's found a spot here, and he's been one of the best shooters in the league this season. <laughs> like he's, you know, he's getting minutes. He's playing I mean, a he, role. Like he outwardly says he wants to stay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't he? If, if they, assuming they pay him, you know, what the market rate is for him, I mean, he seems like he's found a spot here. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. This reporting is very easy because it's zero sourcing. It's just oh, Tommy Shepard said that they want to keep him. And Tommy Shepard says, all that we have to do is just work out the numbers. We want him here. There are a lot of teams that wanted him, but we're one of those teams. And so he's not going anywhere. And Davis Burton says, I love playing here. My family loves it here. Why would I leave? I love the city. Yeah. Why would I leave? So it's always nice when guys go on. They're like, like with, with, with like when, when Dame was like, it was leading up to like the Blazers being able to offer Dame the, Supermax this past summer, you know, Neil Olshay was saying, yeah, I mean, the second we are allowed to, we're going to give him that offer. And then Dame basically comes out there after that and he's like, yeah, I don't want to go anywhere. Like, it's easy. It's easy when it's stuff like that. For sure. Anything uh, you want to plug before we wrap up? Uh, I'm kind of between, like, I'm obviously I write for Bleacher Report. Uh, That's where you can find all my stuff. I kind of in between, you know, working on a few different things that are in kind of varying stages of completion right now. But, you know, I've just, you know, follow me on Twitter at Hiken. I've got, you know, I've got some stuff coming up. Great. And uh, you can go on iTunes, rate Wizards After Dark. You can subscribe to Wizards After Dark. If you happen to just be listening to this random episode, give us five stars, leave a review. That's always nice. You can subscribe to The Athletic. If you listen to this podcast and you are not on The Athletic, you can subscribe to The Athletic at 40% off on an annual subscription if you go to a theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. Again, that's 40% off on an annual subscription at theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. And that's not just to get Wizards After Dark, obviously. That's to get an actual subscription to The Athletic. You get my coverage of the Wizards. You get Michael Lee. You get David Aldridge. You get all our baseball stuff, basketball, football, hockey, Premier League, everything else that you might want over at The Athletic. So go up, sign up there. Uh, I will not be podcasting after Friday's game uh, like usual. No weekend podcast, but I will be podcasting after Sunday's game and posting that for Monday morning. I'll talk to you guys then.